Joe March Madness mini-sode. Louisa May Alcott, the woman behind Little Women, as one book we read so aptly put it. Who was she and how much of her life and her family's lives did she put in her most famous book? Let's find out. We'll share some biographical notes and then talk about how her story diverges from Little Women. Louisa May Alcott was born on November 29, 1832, in Germantown, Pennsylvania. She was the second of four daughters born to the teacher, lecturer, and social reformer Amos Bronson Alcott, who went by Bronson, and his social worker wife Abby, also called Abba by the family. The family moved to the Boston area when Louisa was about two, and they were close friends with some of the most celebrated writers and thinkers of the day. Like, basically every single person from your high school history book in the first half of the 19th century. The Alcotts were also passionate abolitionists, serving as station masters on the Underground Railroad in the 1840s. Oldest sister Anna was just 18 months older than Louisa, and she had a decided love of acting, but ultimately settled down as a wife and a teacher. The next sister, Elizabeth, contracted scarlet fever at age 19 and succumbed to its long-term effects just two years later. Baby sister Abigail May, who eventually went by just May, had some talent as an artist and she went on to study in Boston, London, Paris, and Rome. Does any of this sound familiar? Nah. (laughs) May did not, however, go on to marry the beloved neighbor boy, but instead married a Swiss merchant 16 years her junior? Yes, please. Get it, girl. (laughs) And died in Paris at 39 following childbirth complications. Louisa, meanwhile, was considered a tomboy with a strong streak of independence. Sound familiar? Absolutely not. She received no formal education, though family friends Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and Julia Ward Howe assisted in tutoring her at home. To help support the family, she took jobs as a seamstress, teacher, governess, and companion. She began writing original plays for a theater in Boston, but burned one manuscript herself. She's the Amy? (laughs) following disagreements among principal actresses over who should play what part. In 1860, she began writing for the Atlantic Monthly, and in 1862, she set out for Washington, D.C. to volunteer as an army nurse. She made it through just six weeks working in a hospital in Georgetown before falling ill from typhoid, which effectively ended her nursing career. Over the years to come, she mostly wrote thrillers and sensational stories and novels under the pen name A.M. Barnard. Challenged by an editor to write a story for girls, she was initially hesitant, but ended up publishing the semi-autobiographical Little Women in 1868, which originally took us only through March's return from the war and Meg's engagement to John Brooke. What we know today as the second half appeared as Good Wives in 1869, followed by Little Men and Joe's Boys. Louisa never married, telling one interviewer that she'd never fallen in love with any man, and taking care in later years to remove from her journals any references to a romance she'd had with a young Polish man while traveling in Europe. (laughs) Following the death of her sister May in 1879, she took over care of May's daughter, who was named for Louisa and called Lulu by the family. Louisa began to suffer chronic ill health, which may have been an autoimmune disease or may have been long-term effects from the mercury used to treat her typhoid. She died of a stroke on March 6th, 1888, at age 55, and is buried at Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord, on a hillside now known as Author's Ridge, near to the graves of Thoreau, Emerson, and Hawthorne. But despite Louise's claim to one interviewer that her family lived out most of the book, which depicts an idealized form of New England family life, the Alcott's actual story was a lot more complicated and a lot less pretty. 
The Amy Boyd Rue book, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, really goes into detail about the real-life March family. Just like the Marches, both Bronson and Abby came from very old Massachusetts families. Fun fact, Abby's great-grandfather was one of the Salem Witch Trial judges. I saw Goody Alcott speaking with the devil! But while Abby's family was well-off, Alcott's was a poor farming family. Additionally, even though they routinely helped out neighbors in need, similar to the Marches, the Alcott family was always desperately poor until Louisa was able to bring in money with her riding. I don't want to dump on Bronson too much for the family's plight, because I know he suffered from depression and he did have suicidal thoughts, but his devotion to transcendentalist living really did not help things out at all. When Louisa was a baby, he ditched the family for a year and a half to go study on his own in Philadelphia. All the while, Abby had a miscarriage and she suffered from depression too. Even Ralph Waldo Emerson dunked on him for leaving the family for huge chunks of times to seek spiritual enlightenment. They also had to move 22 times in 30 years, sometimes to escape their creditors. He even started a failed commune in eastern Massachusetts called Fruitlands, just like frenemy of the podcast, Nathaniel Hawthorne's commune Brook Farm. Nathaniel Hawthorne only has lovely things to say about you. <laughs> Things were so bad, he even tried to starve himself to death after it failed. Bronson also insisted that the family live on a strict vegan diet and even discouraged eating root vegetables. He's not taking my potatoes away from me. The 1994 film mentions that the marches don't wear silk because of its connection to slavery, but Bronson took it a step further. First, no cotton because of its ties to the South, and no wool because that's stealing from the sheep. Basically, all they could wear was linen, even in the winter. How they didn't all die at this point is beyond me. A lot of scholars believe Bronson's perpetual absences inspired Mr. March being away for the first half of the book. The Anne Boyd Rue book also points to a telling passage in Little Women where Marmee talks about how she's angry nearly every day of her life and was particularly infuriated at having to raise her children in poverty and want. Both Abby and Louisa expressed a good deal of frustration with Bronson over the years with regard to how he treated the family. There are letters to other family members where Abby vents her anger about what she saw as his total indifference to his family's needs. She also told Louisa not to rely on a man for anything, which almost certainly influenced Louisa's decision to never marry. But for all this, they didn't hate Bronson, and he did have his good qualities. He supported Louisa in her literary career, instilled a love of books and learning, and just like Mr. March in the 1994 version of Little Women, Bronson did accept a black student to the school that he ran in Boston, with the subsequent public outcry ruining his teaching career. In addition to Little Women being part autobiographical, it's also a bit aspirational as well. While the March girls get by with perpetual support from each other and family fun on an everyday basis, Louisa and her sisters were often separated. Because of their finances, there were times when at least one of the girls would be farmed out to another family member, and later they'd often be away making money to send back home. Add this to Bronson's willingness to break up the family to attain his own spiritual yearnings, it seems pretty clear that Louisa's experiences led her to be such a strong advocate for close-knit families and little women. One other major departure from the books is the death of Louisa's real-life sister, Elizabeth, or Lizzie. Lizzie and Beth are pretty similar. They're both the sweet, shy, second-youngest girls in the family, and they both get scarlet fever from taking care of immigrant families, 
and suffer weakened hearts as a complication of that illness. That's something that's actually somewhat personal to me, as one of my grandmothers suffered the same complication from a childhood bout with scarlet fever. The Paris Review, meanwhile, notes that because the Alcotts didn't really buy into mainstream medicine, Lizzie never even got real treatment. We see shades of this in the 1994 film version when Marmee arrives back in town and knows just how to save Beth from her fever. It apparently involves vinegar. While the good doctor had pretty much been out of ideas. But while Beth is sweet and resigned all the way to the end, the Paris Review explains that Lizzie had a much more horrible time. In addition to suffering some ailment that could have been rheumatic fever, consumption, or even anorexia, or just her heart being that weakened from the scarlet fever, modern scholars think that she may have also suffered severe depression. She began wasting away. Anne Boyd Rue's book says that Abba wrote in a letter that when Lizzie died at the age of 22, there was no flesh perceptible on her body. The Paris Review pegs her weight as around 90 pounds at the end. She'd lost all of her hair and her face had prematurely aged. But Lizzie didn't go quietly. She knew she was going... She developed an immunity to morphine and opium because she had to take so much of it. And while she was able to joke at her situation, calling herself her family's little skeleton in some letters, she began to take out her anger at dying out on her family. Hard to blame her. Yep. When she died, Louisa and Abba claimed to have seen a mist rise from her body, which they attributed to the supernatural. Lizzie's death and their sister Anna's quick engagement afterwards put Louisa in a dangerous mental state. And coupled with some professional failures she suffered, she contemplated suicide for a while in the 1850s. The women behind Little Women were a complicated bunch. And some of the Alcott family's real story has made its way into the various film versions. Join us for our next episode of Joe March Madness, as the 1994 film starring Winona Ryder takes on the 2017 BBC miniseries starring Maya Hawke. This is Costume Drama Rewind. Thanks for listening to this minisode.